Good morning and welcome to a Tuesday morning, November the 2nd edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, along with your co-host, Pastor Dick Chamberlain, and I'm pleased to announce our regular Tuesday morning guest, Dr. J.B. Hickson. We're always uh, excited uh, to do these Tuesday morning section, sessions with, uh, with uh, Dr. Hickson. We're blessed that he's with us again today. Um, I see that he's just taking another sip out of his giant Scud missile <laughs> coffee cup, and he appears ready to go. How are you this morning, JB? Hey, I'm doing great. Yeah, we have to rename this show the the, the Scud Missile Show or something. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's great to be here, man. I always enjoy Tuesday mornings, and you guys are such a blessing to uh, Not By Works Ministries and to the body of Christ in general. And uh, really uh, and looking forward to the topic that we have uh, on hand today. I, I, you know, uh, we touched base on this topic a little earlier, and I'm glad also that we are going to be discussing it. It's, um, it can be sometimes a, a, a divisive subject. I know you're going to tell us what it is here in just a second. Um, and I, I've got some questions probably in the course of what you're going to be going over, uh, because I've, I've uh, had to deal with uh, friends and, and other, you know, even some family members, very few uh regarding this topic and the topic is um the loss of salvation what some people believe about it uh or the top i think you entitled this the top 10 misconceptions about salvation correct yeah so the broad topic as you said deals with the subject of eternal security and um that is as you rightly pointed out sometimes a little bit uh divisive. There's a lot of disagreement about it among Christians. There shouldn't be, because the Bible is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. And so, of course, mm -hmm. uh, what the Bible says, we must accept as uh, true doctrine. Uh, however, because of some misconceptions about salvation, uh, it leads to a doubt about your salvation, a lack of you know, assurance, a, a lack of belief in the doctrine of eternal security. So, I think the best way to come at it is just to really have a firm understanding of what God's word says about salvation. And, you know, there are very few Christian denominations and so-called Christian religions. And by that, I'm thinking of the Roman Catholic Church, not to mention other pagan religions that there aren't any that believe that once you have received the free gift of eternal life, you can never lose it. And honestly, even people who give lip service to the doctrine of eternal security, in other words, they, they believe in it, or at least they say they do, uh, mm -hmm. in practice, they really don't. They spend their lives uh, doubting and wondering and questioning what their eternal destiny is going to be. And it all comes down to a, a misunderstanding about the very nature of salvation. So I know sometimes on our, our Tuesday interviews, we get into some cultural topics that are, that are pretty controversial. Of course, last week we talked about should Christians take the COVID vaccine, and I highly recommend people go back and listen to that podcast if you haven't already. Uh, but on this week's show, we're going to get into a topic that is more uh, within the realm of the church, the body of Christ, but it too is somewhat uh, controversial because I know already that uh, there are people that I talk to, I get emails literally every week, at least one, dealing with the subject of grace, salvation, eternal life, eternal security, wondering whether someone can be saved. I recall getting a, uh, an email one time, and, and this listener asked if they could set up a phone meeting with me, and we did, and we spent over 30 minutes really talking through this issue because this particular listener was absolutely struggling to the point of depression over whether or not they were really going to go to heaven when they die. And uh, this person had grown up in the church, was uh, mm -hmm. understood the gospel, believed the gospel, um, read the Bible. They're a longtime listener and follower of Not By Works Ministries, at least uh, uh, 10 years now, and yet they still struggle. And it's because they've been influenced by bad teaching and, and some of these misconceptions that we're, uh, that we're talking about. So I'm looking forward to getting into, uh, into it today. So any other opening comments before we dive in, Curtis? No, sir. I think we should dive right in. Um, the, only, the only question that I 
might start out with maybe uh, is, I guess the most obvious question is, if some people believe that they can lose their salvation, why do why would they believe that? Yeah, well, that's a great that's a great segue into these misconceptions. And so, um, I think I mentioned off air that as I was thinking through this yesterday, uh, the topic of eternal security came to my mind because I've had some recent uh, emails and dialogues about it, and I thought, well, let's just really hit this topic hard. But then the more I thought about it and slept on it, I thought. Really, the whole issue of eternal security comes down to how you understand salvation. And if you have a proper mm-hmm. understanding of salvation, then certainly you have no problems understanding and recognizing the biblical doctrine of eternal security. But if you have some misconceptions about salvation, that's where you're going to go off base. So, so really, each one of these that we're going to talk about today answers your question. Why would someone not believe in eternal security? Well, it's because they have one of these mistaken beliefs. So I I was going to call this, I started out just in my mind thinking, well, I'm going to call this, you know, uh, common misconceptions about salvation. But then as I just sort of stream of consciousness started writing them down and thinking through it and just replaying in my mind conversations that I've had through the years with people, I ended up with 10 and probably could have come up with more. So, uh, so I am going to call this the top 10 misconceptions about salvation. There are probably more, and uh, we may not necessarily get through all 10, just to kind of depends on how, the, how my thoughts come together as we, as we tick these off. But if we don't, why, we'll come back and pick up some more possibly next week. But, uh, but I want to start by making sure we define our terms. When I talk about the top 10 misconceptions about salvation. What do we mean by salvation? Well, we're talking about eternal salvation. That is, when a person leaves this earth, will they spend eternity in the presence of the Almighty God and Creator of the universe in eternal bliss in the new heavens and new earth, eternal salvation? That's what we're talking about. Uh, the, The alternative to that according to scripture, is eternity in a literal place of torment called hell. So if a person has not been saved, the way we're using it on today's program, that means they are not going to spend eternity in heaven, they're going to spend eternity in hell. So the word salvation just means deliverance, and in scripture, it often refers to deliverance from some earthly trouble such as sickness or danger or, uh, you know, harm of some kind, but we're not using it in that sense today. We're using it in the more common sense of salvation, and that is eternal salvation. I say the more common because that's when you just talk about salvation or you say to someone, are you saved or when did you get saved or how long have you been saved? At least in, in Christian circles, we understand that to be referring to eternal salvation. Uh, actually, in Scripture, the, the term saved in both the Old and New Testaments more often than not refers to physical or temporal earthly deliverance, but theologically, we're using it to refer to the common reference of eternal life. Do you have eternal life or not? Are you going to go to heaven when you die or not? So, so that having defined that term salvation, let's look at uh, the top 10 misconceptions about salvation, at least as far as my own experience has um, seen in dealing with people in, in Christian ministry for 32 years now. <clears throat> the biggest one right off the bat and we could spend an entire program or more talking about this, is salvation is something you earn. That is a misconception. So we got to keep in mind, each one of these that I state, I'm stating it in the form of the misconception. So the misconception is, number one, salvation is something you earn. Now, you see this pervasively everywhere in culture and in Christian circles. When people talk about eternity, they tend to speak of it as if it were something that they are either going to earn or not. So you'll hear people, just just yesterday I was watching a TV show, 
And this topic was in my mind because I kind of usually over the weekend, I start thinking about, hey, what should we talk about, um, you know, on Tuesday in Christian Underground News Network? And so I was just kind of thinking about eternal security and salvation. But in this, uh, you know, secular TV show, popular TV show, uh, the person made the comment, one person was talking to another and they said, something about having a good intention. And the one person said, well, you know what the road to hell is paved with, right? And then the other person responded, well, yeah, but the road to heaven is also paved with good intentions. And the person saying that in the show was a, was a priest playing the part of a priest. So this person was talking to the priest and said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The priest said, yeah, but don't forget the road to heaven is too. Well, that's just a common misconception that somehow we get to heaven or fail to get to heaven based on our own actions and our own behavior and our own performance. The people have this misconception that salvation is something you earn. Now, I want to think about that for a moment, but let's look at a passage of scripture to kind of use as our uh, reference to refute that notion that salvation is something you earn. In Romans chapter 11, verse 6, Paul says, speaking about our salvation, if it's by grace, then it's no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, then it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. And what he's saying in that foundational uh, passage there is that works and grace do not mix. They are actually diabolically opposed. They are polar opposites. You cannot have them both be true. And when it comes to our eternal salvation, either it's by grace or it's by works. Now, what does the Bible say? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So it's all about, it's all about uh, grace, not works. So, uh, Pastor Dick, did you have a comment there? Whoops. I think, I think you're muted there, uh, and I didn't hear what he said. Uh, there you go. Say that again, Pastor Dick. No, I, I, I don't have, I'm not going to ask any questions today, but that's because I want to hear this totally. Okay? Well, that's, that's good, but, you know, our, our esteemed host, Curtis, turned the camera to, to you, and I thought he was doing that because you had something to say. Maybe he just wanted me to see your beautiful face. I don't know. I just didn't want you to see my ugly one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So salvation is something you earn. That is a misconception. Uh, salvation, people think of it in terms of some kind of quid pro quo. They think of it as if they're going through their lives and they're hoping that based on their behavior, somehow they will have done enough to earn salvation. So in most people's minds, unfortunately... <clears throat> The golden prize, if you will, the highest uh, achievement that someone can attain, which is eternity in heaven, is something that is contingent upon their uh, behavior, them being able to earn it. Have they done enough, in other words? And so, you know, you see this in other religions, you see this in, you know, Roman Catholicism, you've got to keep the seven sacraments or in uh, you know, in certain Eastern religions, you've got to reach nirvana, or you you do this X, Y, and Z, and if you say enough prayers, or make enough sacrifices, or jump through enough hoops, you've earned it. But the Bible uh, stands alone as the only message of salvation that readily admits right up front, you cannot earn it. There is absolutely nothing we can do to earn uh, good standing with God. We are all desperately wicked, sold under sin, born dead in our trespasses and sin, and under the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God in a literal place of torment called hell. And trying to overcome that on our own efforts is to no avail. It simply uh, cannot uh, achieve anything. We must be saved by grace. Now, what is grace? Grace by definition, means a free gift. So 
right there, people ought to understand what Paul was saying in Romans eleven six when he says works and grace do not mix. Because grace, if it's a free gift, in fact, sometimes it's translated that way in English translations of the Bible, then it's automatically not something you earn. I mean, we understand the nature of a gift, or we should anyway. If someone gives you a gift, it's not because you earned it. If it, if it was something you earned, it would be payment. You, you earn your paycheck. But a gift is something that you are given free of charge, undeserving, irrespective of your uh, whether you deserve it or not, just a free gift, undeserved favor or undeserved merit. And that's the meaning of the Greek word grace, which is charis, meaning, uh, you know, free gift. So if we're, if Paul and the Bible are calling uh, salvation something that is based on grace and not works, it should easily follow that salvation is not something you earn. But moreover, let's just think about it for a moment. If salvation could be earned, then why in the world did God's Son have to come to the earth, live a perfect, holy, sinless life, and then die a cruel, heartless, excruciatingly painful, humiliating death by crucifixion? I mean, he didn't do that just so that we could be inspired. Uh, he didn't do that so he could like give a pep talk and say, okay, now you've seen the sacrifice I made. Now you go out and do the same thing. If I can do it, you can do it. No, he did it in our place. He did it precisely because there was no other remedy. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, Hebrews 9.22. Somebody had to die. A payment had to be made. To satisfy the wrath of Almighty God, payment had to be made. And from the very beginning, God made it clear when he created mankind that death is the penalty for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So if you want to play the earning game, if you want to go through life thinking you can earn salvation, just remember all you're going to earn is uh, separation from God because you cannot possibly do enough to prove yourself to God. Your, your very nature is depraved. I, I talked about that, by the way, uh, Sunday at Plum Creek Chapel in Denver. By the way, if you're ever in the Denver area, please come see us at Plum Creek Chapel in the, the Sedalia area, a suburb of Denver. You can check us out at plumcreekchapel.org. But I talked about the weight of sin uh, was the topic, and it was part one. We're going to do part two this coming Sunday. But we talked about the depravity of man and what that means. And it means that every human being is born in a sinful state separated from God. And the only remedy, the only remedy that the creator of the universe allows is grace, grace. And he gives us that grace the moment we receive the free gift of eternal life by faith. So salvation is not something uh, that you earn. It, that's a misconception. If you, can, you can go through life thinking you're going to earn it. I remember uh, doing a funeral one time where a guy was uh, for, somehow connected to the deceased friends. He wasn't a relative, but he was a friend. And I remember him, I was standing uh, at the back uh, after the service, and this person I had just preached the gospel of grace and explained that the only way to have eternal life is by grace through faith. And this guy came up to me and he, it just, he just didn't get it. He said, referring to the person that had died, I forget their name, but he said, well, old so-and-so, you know, he started out in life as a Catholic, but then he got married and converted to Lutheran. And then he got divorced and his second wife was a Baptist. And then after a while, they joined an independent church but then towards the end of his life, he ended up becoming a Pentecostal with his wife. And, uh, and then he paused and he said, well, so pastor, I guess he was covered one way or the other. He, he earned his way in, you know. Well, no, he hadn't earned his way in. I mean, I don't know if the, the person was a believer or not. I didn't happen to know this person. I was just asked to come in in this, this community and do this uh, funeral. But what I can tell you is that if this person who died was in heaven, it was because they had received the free gift of grace uh, by faith alone, if uh, it was not because they were Baptist, Lutheran, Pentecostal, or Catholic. Uh, you cannot earn your way into heaven by checking off a list of different religious 
instructions or religious requirements. So very, very important right out of the chute here to understand that salvation is not something you earn. We've got to strip away that misconception. So every time you catch yourself thinking of your relationship with God in terms of a, a quid pro quo, some type of, well, I did this, so now God is obligated to do this, you need to reject that, uh, confess it, and get rid of it. Uh, God is a God of grace. Obviously, once we are saved uh, by grace, then he gives us certain guidelines that are that it will go well with us. His commandments are not burdensome, therefore our own good, and we yield to the Spirit and walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh, and we see practical blessings from that, but it has no bearing on whether or not God is a God of grace, and our salvation is by grace. Now, the second misconception, which relates to the first one, so again, the first misconception that is not true is salvation is something you earn. That is not true. The second one is good works matter when it comes to salvation. Well, that's not true. When it comes to salvation, good works have no bearing whatsoever. Titus 3, 5, which is the theme verse for our ministry, says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Mercy and grace are sort of cousins. Grace is undeserved merit. Mercy is the withholding of punishment that you deserve. So, when we receive salvation, we experience both God's grace and God's mercy. We get something we don't deserve, which is eternal life, but we also don't get what we do deserve, which is eternity in hell, the withholding of punishment. So again, Titus 3, 5 says that it's not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to God's grace and mercy, or Titus 3, 5 says mercy. So again, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works or not of works. So good works do not matter when it comes to salvation. Apart from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, the most moral person on earth and the most despicable sinner on earth have the same destiny. See, God doesn't grade on the curve. Uh, and the only way to receive salvation is by trusting in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for your sins. So let me break that down for you even more simply. We've already determined that biblically salvation is a gift. It's a gift of grace. Salvation is not something you earn, and good works do not matter when it comes to salvation. Well, how do you get that gift? A gift, like all gifts in the physical realm, has to be received. It has to be freely offered and freely received. If you force a gift on someone, or you coerce someone to take a gift, or, or they have no choice in the matter, that's not a gift. Uh, if Similarly, if they have to do something and meet some standard or uh, meet some you know, requirements to get it, it's not a gift either. It's a wage that they earned. It's a contract. So similarly, in the spiritual realm, to receive the gift of eternal life just like in the physical realm, it has to be received. So how do you receive it? We're talking about a spiritual quality. We're talking about forgiveness of sins and eternal life. You can't touch that. It's an intangible spiritual reality. How do you receive it? Well, more than 160 times in the New Testament alone, the Bible tells us the way we receive salvation is by faith. Now, not just faith in anything, because people can and do believe a lot of things. Faith and belief are synonyms, so people can believe lots of different things. But it's only when a person believes the gospel that they are saved. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16, for it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes it. So you have to believe the right thing and in believing the right thing, that is the mechanism of receiving the gift. Just think of faith as being the hands that reach out and grasp eternal life in the spiritual realm. So God offers it. Uh, it's freely offered. Jesus said, if, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Uh, he's out there freely offering the gift of eternal life. Uh, you know, whosoever will may come. 
Revelation 22, 17 says, whosoever will, let him come drink of the water of life freely. It's a universally offered gift. You don't have to wait for God to come knocking. He's already knocking. Uh, the Spirit of God is going throughout the world, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And if you're listening to this program and you've never trusted in Christ, then I can tell you, you're not saved. Uh, I, don't need, I don't need to see inside your heart. If you're telling me you've never trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, then by biblical authority, you have never received the gift. That's the only way to receive it. You can't earn it. You can't do enough good works. It must be received by faith. So just like you receive a physical present by reaching out with your hands and taking hold of it, you take hold of eternal salvation by faith. So good works do not matter when it comes to salvation. Now, good works certainly do matter when it comes to sanctification, our spiritual growth process, the discipleship process. Everyone who by faith receives the gift of salvation becomes a newborn babe in Christ, and, and we are supposed to grow, and there are certain uh, things in Scripture that we're told about, principles that will help us grow in our spiritual life, things like reading the Bible, praying, attending and participating in a Bible-believing church, fellowshipping with other believers. Uh, there's a whole spiritual paradigm that will help us as new spiritual beings born in, in again by faith. Uh, that will help us grow, right? But so good works are very relevant to the Christian life, but you don't need to stack up a list of good works and bring them to God as an unbeliever and say, hey, look at me, look at all my works, God. Now I'll take that salvation you offered because it's not a bilateral contract. It's not a quid pro quo. It's not about works. So two misconceptions that are kind of related so far uh, salvation is something you earn. That's a misconception. Good works matter when it comes to salvation. That's a misconception. And then the third one that comes to my mind, kind of, again, they all sort of relate to the basic principle of, of God's gracious gift of eternal life. And this one is for our Catholic listeners who may be out there. The third misconception is you have to earn God's grace in salvation. In other words, some people will say, yeah, I get it, JB. I get it. Salvation's by grace. But grace is something we have to earn. I've got to say so many rosaries or so many Hail Marys, or I've got to go to confession, or you know, I've got to keep these sacraments, and then God will bestow his grace upon me. Well, if that's what you think, then once again, you don't understand uh, grace. Uh, you don't understand grace. Romans 3.24 says, being justified freely by his grace. In other words, grace is free. If it's not free, it's not grace. If it's not grace, it's not free. So if anyone tells you, well, you've got to do X, Y, and Z, and then God will give you his grace, that's a contradiction in terms. That's not grace. That's a wage. That's an obligation. That's someone putting you under uh, the law. And I'd like to read from Romans chapter 5, verses 15 and following, where Paul is contrasting the law with grace and he says, quote, this is Romans 5, beginning in verse 15, quote, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense, many died, talking about Adam there, and Adam's sin brought sin into the whole world. He had previously just said in verse 12, as through one man, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So now he's clarifying the free gift is not like that. If by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift came, which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Now listen to this. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, that's Adam, resulting in condemnation, all men are condemned. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. What was that 
act, that act of one man. It was the death and resurrection of Christ on the cross. And so you, you cannot earn grace. Just as we said, salvation cannot be earned. God's grace cannot be earned. And we need to make that clarification because, again, some people will play word games because they've been misled. They've, they've developed these misconceptions because of bad influences in their, in their teaching. And so they'll say, oh, yes, I completely agree. Salvation by grace. And they'll say a hearty amen. You'll be preaching about God's amazing, matchless, wonderful grace. And they'll be sitting on the front pew saying the loudest response of amen. But what they're thinking in their mind is, oh, but in order to get God's grace, I've got to do X, Y, and Z. That just proves they don't understand grace. Grace, by definition, is undeserved, unmerited, free gift. That's what it is. And if it's not free, it's not grace. So if you have the notion, if you believe the notion that somehow <clears throat> you've got to earn grace, you are misled, and that is a lie. So we've said salvation is something you earn. That's a misconception. A second misconception is good works matter when it comes to salvation. They do not. You can bring truckloads of good works to the great white throne someday, and it's not going to matter. Unless you've trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone as your only hope of salvation, then you cannot use your good works to open the doors of heaven. The third misconception is you have to earn God's grace in salvation. The fourth one, and this one's widely held, is that salvation is so valuable, it simply has to cost you something. People just cannot get their heads around a, a God who would somehow give people something as valuable as eternal life without requiring something from them in return. So the misconception is salvation is so valuable, it must cost you something. But again, what does the Bible say? The Bible is our only standard, even though that might make good humanistic sense, because, you know, what kind of a business plan would it be if you give something away? Uh, you know, the world's system is completely opposite God's system. You know, I mentioned recently in our midweek Wednesday night uh, study, I believe that's where I mentioned it, uh, that the only time the word philosophy is mentioned in the Bible, only one time in Colossians 2, and it refers to the world's wisdom, worldly philosophy. And the world's system, the world, world's philosophy is completely opposed to our creator God. He's a God of grace. He does give things away because he loves us so much. He, 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 he knows that we got ourselves into this predicament by sinning. And because he's a just, holy, righteous God, he, he cannot wink and nod at sin. He has to keep his word. And he, he promised that sin leads to death. If you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. So he couldn't just overlook our sin. But what he could do is reach out from heaven, send his only son, his eternal son, to earth to die a cruel death in our place on the cross, satisfying sin's demands, rising from the dead the third day, and then freely purchasing eternal life by his shed blood and offering it freely to anyone who wants it. And that's the God we serve. But in Romans chapter 4, again, we read, same principle we've been talking about, beginning in verse 4 of Romans 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. To him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, verse 5, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So you see, the problem that every human being has is that we are not righteous enough to enter heaven. We cannot stand before a perfectly righteous God, a holy God. We, we're tainted. We're marred by sin. And no matter how many righteous, morally good deeds we may muster up in our own strength, Isaiah 64 tells us they are like filthy rags to a holy God. So our fundamental problem is sin, and another way to say that is we're tainted. We don't have the righteousness that heaven demands, and so the only way we can get the perfect righteousness that heaven demands is by faith. Listen to this verse again, Romans 4, 5. 
but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Justifies, that, that Greek word uh, justifies, uh, dikaio is the Greek verb. It means to make righteous. So let's read it again and change the word justifies to make righteous. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who makes the ungodly righteous, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So how can the ungodly be made righteous? Only by faith. Abraham, going all the way back 2,000 years before Christ, the Bible tells us, believed. And because of his faith, he was declared righteous. So we need to understand this misconception that, you know, even though salvation is valuable, it costs us absolutely nothing. If it were to cost us something, then it becomes uh, an earned wage. And as we've just read over and over again, the Bible teaches salvation is not something you earn. Grace is not something you earn. Grace, by definition, is a free gift. So salvation is so valuable, it must cost you something. That is a misconception that we need to strip away uh, from our uh, minds. It does not cost us anything. Make no mistake, it costs God his own son, and it costs God's son his own life, because the penalty had to be paid. But it does not cost us anything. If it did, then Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus didn't just give us a discount coupon when he went to the cross. He paid in full. He said, here's life. It's fully paid for. All you have to do is receive it, right? It would be like me uh, buying uh, the most expensive car on the planet as a gift for you, Curtis, because you're just so awesome, and you're such a great host of the Christian Underground News Network. In fact, you and Pastor Dick are both awesome hosts. In fact, I, I think you're so great, I'm going to buy you both the most expensive car, let's say a $150,000 sports car. And I give it to you, and I hand you the keys, and I say to you, here's this gift. Enjoy it. And you hop in the front seat, you put the keys in the ignition, you turn the ignition, nothing happens. You try it again, nothing happens. Then you look at the gas gauge, and you realize it's on empty. And you look at me with this puzzled look, and you say, you mean you didn't put any gas in it? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to put gas in it. You know, you got to put your own gas in, it, right? Why would I do that? It's, a, it's an absurd thought. And yet that's the way most people view God is they think, yeah, God, you know, God sent his son to die. And yeah, he did most of the work and, and he got us most of the way there. But, you know, salvation is so valuable. It's got to cost you something. You got to bring something to the table. You've got to, you know, turn away from sin or promise to be good or make a pledge or commitment to God. You've got to surrender your life. You've got to put him in control. You've got to swear your allegiance to God. You got to do something. And then, you know, if you do it, then he'll give you this grace, quote unquote. But of course, the minute you put stipulations on it, it's no longer a gift. It's no longer grace. So, uh, so far we've seen Four very common interconnected misconceptions that show that people really don't understand salvation. And that is people think salvation is something you earn. People mistakenly think good works matter when it comes to salvation. They think you have to earn God's grace, or they think salvation is so valuable, it's got to cost you something. Now, just from those four alone, our listeners ought to be sort of connecting the dots that if salvation is not something we earn, then, of course, by definition, it cannot be lost by something we do. If it wasn't a contract to begin with, there's no contract for us to break. And in order for God to take away what he's freely given us, it requires that there be some standard that wasn't met. But if there are no standards to meet in the first place, then, of course, salvation cannot be lost. So there's a, that's a fundamental principle, a logical principle. Now, of course, there are many passages that we're going to get to here in a moment that explicitly teach the doctrine of eternal security, but it all flows from a proper understanding of what salvation is.
Now, I want to shift into the fifth of, uh, of these 10 misconceptions that came to my mind about salvation. The fifth mis misconception is this, and I know a lot of people that have this understanding of salvation, and it's wrong, but they think that you cannot really know if you're saved until you die. And so most people, they'll say things like, well, I'm pretty sure I'm going to heaven. I hope I'm going to heaven. I think I'm going to heaven. I most likely am going to heaven. They'll say I'm 90% sure I'm going to heaven. But if you say any of those things, if you're not 100% sure you're going to heaven, then based on the authority of scripture, there's a good chance you're not saved because the Bible teaches that you can know with absolute 100% assurance right now that you're going to heaven. You do not have to wait until you die. Uh, so when people say, well, you can't really know if you're saved until you die, they don't understand what salvation is. And that leads to the sixth misconception, which I want to deal with both of these together. A lot of people mistakenly think that you get salvation when you die. And because they mistakenly think that you get salvation when you die, then they think that you can't really know whether you're saved until you die. So they just sort of you know, roll the dice, for lack of a better metaphor. They just go through life thinking, well, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm going to, I'm going to do good works. I'm going to earn God's grace. I'm going to, you know, keep behaving myself. And then um, if as long as I'm, you know, better than most, or as long as I'm in the upper percentile of people on earth, then, you know, when I die, I'll, I'll find out, but I'm pretty sure. Well, pretty sure isn't enough. Jesus didn't die a cruel death on the cross so that you could be pretty sure. He died to give you in full the absolute gift of eternal salvation. He didn't die on the cross to give you the possibility of salvation or the potential for salvation or the prospect of salvation. He died to give you salvation. So that, that sixth misconception that you get salvation when you die is 100% false. When do you get salvation? You get salvation when you believe the gospel. Jesus said it, couldn't have said it more clearly than John 6, 47. Verily, verily, repeating that for emphasis, truly, truly, uh, I say to you, whoever believes in me has everlasting life. And you mentioned at the outset, uh, John chapter 3. If we go back to John chapter 3, we read this. Who, verse 15, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have e everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to, the, to condemn the world. See, the world was already condemned by our sin. But he sent his son into the world that through the world, that through him the world might be saved. Now listen to this. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. So if you believe in him, you are not condemned. It's plain as day. Uh, it doesn't say if you believe in him, someday you'll find out whether you're condemned or not. If you believe in him, you are not condemned. Later on in John chapter 5, Jesus puts it this way, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word, the gospel, and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. Now, I want you to notice the, the tenses you know, of, of the, the verb there. Has everlasting life. Present tense. Jesus didn't say, if you believe in me, you someday will get everlasting life or you might get eternal life. He says, you have, present tense, everlasting life. He goes on to say, you have passed from death to life. So the issue of our condemnation or justification is settled the moment we believe the gospel. You do not have to wait until you die to know whether you are saved, because you get salvation when you believe the gospel not when you die. When you die, you just pass from this physical earth into the eternal realm, into the presence of God. Uh, that's all that happens at death. For the believer, for the Christian, death is simply the golden key that unlocks the riches of eternity. Death is a, is a 
rite of passage for all believers. Uh, so when you get saved by believing the gospel, by believing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died and rose again for your personal sins, when you believe that, you are saved in that moment, and you receive that gift. Now, what is that gift? It's called eternal life. Now, if salvation could be lost, then it's got the worst name God could ever give it. In fact, God lied when he said he gave you eternal life when you believe the gospel. Because if I get eternal life when I believe the gospel, then if it's eternal, by its very definition, it can never be lost. So what most people mistakenly think is they think that when you believe the gospel, you get conditional eternal life. Yeah, yeah, he gives you quote unquote eternal life. But you know what? If you mess up or step out of line or do something really, really bad, then somehow suddenly it changes its very nature. It wasn't really eternal after all. God was just kidding. No, no, God wasn't kidding. God means what he says, and God cannot lie, the book of Hebrews tells us. So God gave us what? Eternal life. And so you get eternal life when you believe the gospel, not when you die. And consequently, you don't have to wait until you die to know whether you're saved. All you have to do is ask yourself, has there been a time in my life when I've trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation? If you have, then on the authority of Scripture, you're saved. And so the seventh misconception then, and this goes to the eternal, the definition of eternal, which is why my, my mind and my flow of thought went there next, is the seventh misconception that people have is a lot of people think salvation is all about gaining a better life on earth, Right. They've been told that this earth, this earthly life is what matters most, and it's all about living out your days to their fullest. And so they have been told mistakenly that salvation means having peace and contentment and purpose and meaning in life on earth. But the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if in this life only we have hope, then we are of all men most pitiable, 1 Corinthians 15, 19. And every one of the passages we've looked at so far makes it very plain that the gift of salvation and the consequence of not receiving the gift are both eternal by their very nature. If you are condemned because of your sin and you never receive the gift of salvation from God, then you will spend eternity in a literal place of torment called hell. Conversely, if by faith you receive the free gift of eternal salvation, then you are not condemned. You shall never come into judgment, Jesus promises in John 5, 24, and instead you have eternal life. So when we go back to the definition we gave at the beginning, when we're using the term salvation, we're talking about deliverance from hell, not deliverance from a de depressing or discouraging life. Uh, it, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could have a happy life for 60, 70, 80 years. He died on the cross so that you could have eternity in heaven with him, so that you could be restored back to a right relationship with the Creator. That relationship with the Creator was broken and marred when we sinned. Nothing we can do can restore it. It has to be restored by faith alone in Christ alone. So we said the seventh misconception is that salvation is about gaining a better life on earth. No, it's not. Salvation is about being rescued from hell. Number eight is a misconception is that, as we've kind of talked about all the way through these, but to put it plainly, a lot of people think God can take back the salvation that he gave you. They think God can take back the salvation he gave you. That is a misconception. Just listen to the words of our Lord himself in John 10, 28, when he said, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish, period. Never means never. In fact, in the Greek, uh, you don't see this coming through in our English translation, but it's a double negative. It's literally, you shall know never perish. And actually, Jesus here is speaking to all about all believers, and he says, I give them, all believers, eternal life, and they shall never perish. So if you're a believer, then you're one of those. So God gave you eternal life, and you shall 
never perish. He goes on to say, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, either Jesus meant that or he didn't. I believe he meant it. And so God will never take back the salvation he gave you because think about it. Just think about it logically. Set aside all the preconceived misconceptions that you may have rattling around in your mind. If salvation is a free gift, then it can never be taken back because the minute it were to be taken back, if that were possible, then it would prove that it was never a gift, that it was somehow a contract and you would only take it back if that person didn't meet their obligation. And yet that's the way most people think about salvation, that as long as I don't step across any of the big lines, you know, that's the where Roman Catholicism talked about mortal and venial sins. And if you committed, you know, the, the really bad sins, God would, would take away his salvation. You've crossed a line. Well, all that means is that in their view, salvation is something you earn. You have to do good works to get it. You have to do good works to keep it. You've got to keep your end of the bargain. You've got to keep your side of the contract. And if at any point you don't, then God takes it away. But that's not grace. That's a contract. That's something you earn. And certainly in contracts, there are what they call failure to perform. And if a person fails to perform, then, of course, the other party to the contract is, is able to get out of the contract or hold them accountable or in, institute whatever penalties the contract spells out for failure to perform. But our salvation is not a contract. It's not based on our performance. Our salvation is a free gift, and God can, <clears throat> can never <clears throat> take it back. Just listen to the way Paul describes it in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 13. He says, in him, that's Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So notice how he explains it here. You hear the gospel of your salvation, then you believe the gospel of, of your salvation. And Paul says, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, the moment you hear and believe the gospel, at that moment, not only do you receive eternal life, which as we said, if it's eternal by nature, it can never be lost, but furthermore, you're sealed until we get to glory, sealed by the Holy Spirit who cannot change. And uh, Paul says in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. So that's number eight. Number nine is, some people have the misconception that, well, God would never take back his salvation, but you can give it back. Well, that's another misconception. They say, you know, well, you can always give it back. The Wesleyans, uh, if you've ever been a part of denominations that follow the Wesleyan tradition, that's what they believe. Well, again, the problem is that speaks, they, they don't understand their identity in Christ. What does Jesus say in John 3 in the first part of that chapter? A lot of people forget that John 3.16, the most well-known passage in, uh, in the Bible, comes in the context of Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. And it's when we believe the gospel that we are born again. Literally, that means born from above, born of the Spirit. We experience the spiritual rebirth. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So our entire nature changes. We go from being sons of wrath under condemnation of sin, to being sons of God, under the grace of God. We're a child of God. John 1.12 says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. And John, 1 John 3 tells us that is what we are. We're a child of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called a child of God. So when people say you can give your salvation back to God, It'd be like saying you can change your spiritual DNA. You can somehow change your, ident your spiritual identity in Christ. Listen to the way Paul puts it in Galatians uh, 4, chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. That's us. That we might receive the adoption as sons. How do we receive that adoption? 
The Bible tells us plainly it's by faith, by believing the gospel. But notice Paul goes on at Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, listen to this, if you're a son, if you're a child of God by faith, then you are an heir of God through Christ. We could no longer give, we could no more give back our salvation than Christ himself could cease to be the eternal son of God because we are co-heirs with him. So that's a misconception. You, 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 you cannot give your salvation back to God. And then finally, uh, let me review the first nine, and then I'll close with this last one, because it's kind of the application of these top 10 misconceptions about salvation. So we're talking about misconceptions about salvation. Number one, salvation is something you, something you earn. That's wrong. That's a misconception. Good works matter when it comes to salvation. That's wrong. You have to earn God's grace in salvation. That's a misconception. Salvation is so valuable, it must cost you something. Nope, it costs you nothing. It's fully paid for by the blood of Christ. Number five, you cannot really know if you're saved until you die. And number six, you get salvation when you die. Nope, those are both wrong. You get salvation when you believe the gospel, and therefore you can know right now that you are saved. Number seven, salvation is about gaining a better life on earth. Nope, salvation is about being rescued and delivered from the penalty of sin, which is hell. Number eight, God can take back the salvation he gave you. Or number nine, God can give, or you can give your salvation back to God. Nope. Neither one is true. God guarantees through his spirit and through his promise of eternal life that he will never take it back. And because at the moment you believe the gospel, you become a new creation in Christ, adopted into the family of God. Nothing you can do, uh, no matter how much you might want to, can ever cause you to not be a child again. And then finally, the tenth misconception. A lot of people think it is healthy to doubt your salvation. They think it's good to think it's a good spiritual quality, that, that you don't want to be presumptuous. And so a lot, in fact, there's even been some books out there written by a lot of Calvinists who, who teach that you should doubt your salvation every day. You better make sure you're really saved because, you know, if you're not being good enough, if you're not behaving good enough, then, you know, you're not saved. And so uh, they think it's healthy to doubt your salvation. Wrong. What did uh, Jesus say in John uh, chapter 3, verse 14? He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, in order to really understand the analogy Jesus is making there, we need to go back to Numbers 21 and verse 5. Or actually, yeah, start out in verse 5. Some of you may remember this experience of the children of Israel in the wilderness as they were, had left Egypt and were now under the leadership of Moses for 40 years in the wilderness. Listen to this historical account. Numbers chapter 21, verse 5. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So they were complaining and griping. And so the Lord, to teach them a lesson... Verse 6 says, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Pretty serious consequence, right? Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, now listen, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So when they looked at this fiery serpent held up on a pole, they would live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now let me ask you a question. Did the children of Israel who had been bitten and then subsequently looked at the bronze serpent the way God required did they really get rescued from death or did they die anyway? No, of course they were rescued from death. That's the promise of God. That's the way God set it up. And in the same way, if God says to you, if you believe in me, you have eternal life, he means it. And if you do the one thing, just as the children of Israel had to look to the serpent to be rescued from the poisonous snake, 
If you want to be rescued from the penalty of sin, you've got to believe the gospel. And if you do, you are saved. And you should never doubt your salvation. It is not healthy. It's basically when we doubt our salvation, it's like we're shaking our fist toward heaven and telling God, you know what? I know you said you gave me eternal life when I believed in, in you and believed the gospel, but I don't really think you meant it. I think you're lying. And that's not healthy. So that's a misconception. And if you're listening to this program today and you've trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, stop doubting your salvation. And if you're listening and you have not, then uh, you need to uh, you need to trust in Christ today. Stop buying into all these other lies and trying to earn your way to heaven, but believe the gospel. So there you go. That's the, the top 10 misconceptions, at least as I see it, about salvation. Amen, JB. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, that, that is quite a list there. And one of those, I think it was number seven. Um, read that off, Pastor. So, it, salvation is about gaining a better so, life on earth. Yeah, it, you know what it reminded me of is um, uh, a book by a very famous television evangelist. Um, well, everybody knows him. Joel Osteen wrote a book entitled Your Best Life Now. Yep. And, uh, you know, I remember when I was first seeing that title, yeah. uh, I kind of chuckled and said, well, I, doesn't Joel know that this is not, there's no way on a life on earth can be our best life now. Yeah. We, we've got to wait for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and, and, you know, last week uh, I had the privilege of being on the stand up for the truth radio program with David Fiorazzo. Uh, yes. We've been on that once a month for over 13 months now, I think. But the topic for that one was contending for the faith against false, inaccurate gospels. And it's still available on our podcast channel, or you can find it on our website. Um, and we talked about Joel Osteen. And uh, again, not personally attacking him. I don't know the man personally, but I can tell you that his teaching, uh, it, it, it violates almost every one of these misconceptions about salvation. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw some, some time ago, several years ago, uh, an interview with that Oprah Winfrey did with him. And uh, he basically uh, capitulated on almost everything, except I will give him credit for one thing. She tried to nail him to the wall on, on uh, homosexuality not being a sin. You know, it, it, it isn't, is it? And he said, well, I got to tell you, uh, from everything the Bible says, yeah, it's a sin. <laughs> so I, I give him credit there, but yeah, he, he's, he's got, he operates under many misconceptions, if you ask me. But he sure does. It's my opinion, and I only go by the word of God. So, uh, boy, JB, thank you for that list, and thank you for clearing up a lot of those things. I, to me, it's clear. Pastor, to, to pastor, it's clear. Uh, to you, it's clear. And, and uh, we hope that if there are any listeners out there today that were unclear about it, uh, that, that it is now clear to them that if they truly believe, then they cannot and will not lose their salvation. It's a gift from God. What gifts he gives, he, he generally doesn't take back. And especially when this important, uh, he will not take it back. He never takes Perhaps. gifts back. Yep. It, it would, it, if he did, it would make him a liar. It would make him a liar and it would cheapen the sacrifice that uh, his own son made on yeah. our behalf and i and there's no way i don't think god would let that happen yeah. so we'll never perish neither will anybody take us out of his hand that's right that's right so jb thank you once again for being with us this tuesday morning sir and uh we always appreciate the hour that we have with you uh we we often sit around here pastor and i and, and wish we had uh, you know a two-hour segment to do with you or a three-hour segment you could handle that, couldn't you? <laughs> well, I could. I always enjoy it, too. And I, I want to remind people, I bet, <laughs> I bet you were about to remind them, but don't forget tomorrow night, Wednesday night yes. at 6 o'clock Mountain Time, uh, you can live stream our midweek Bible study. We're talking about how to read and understand the Bible and uh, going to give some more principles and, and, and talk about one of the reasons people misinterpret the Bible most often. And uh, so that's tomorrow night, 6 o'clock. 
Mountain Time. If you're in Denver, come see us in person at Plum Creek Chapel. If you're online, uh, whatever time zone you're in, but it's six o'clock Mountain Time, just go to notbyworks.org and click the live stream button and you'll, uh, you'll see me up there, hopefully waxing eloquent about some deep spiritual truth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he's being, you know, he, he, he's being facetious about that in a way. But uh, I, I have to say that you actually do wax fairly eloquent. That's <laughs> well, just my personal opinion, JB. Uh, you know, uh, I, I enjoy listening to you. Yeah, sometimes I get my tongue tied, but uh, that's all right. People, people yeah, are gracious. Happens to everybody. Yeah. Happens to everybody. But um, listeners, we thank you for joining us today, and and uh, we know that you were here to hear JB, and uh, we are glad that you were, and we hope you tune in. Um, to his live stream uh, teaching from his church at Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, Colorado, this coming Wednesday night at 6 Central Time. Mm -mm. Oh, six Mountain. Six, six Mountain. mountain. Six mountain. Yeah. I, I got it confused again. Six Mountain Time. That's right. Yeah. Six Mountain Time. Be there or be square, as they say. Um, but uh, for now, we're going to have to sign off. Uh, remember to tune in this coming Saturday morning uh, with Pastor Dick, who is going to have another exciting and uh, thoughtful, inspired on, lesson to on, give us. On gifts. On gifts, on spiritual gifts. Uh, uh, yes, another possibly controversial subject, oh, uh, but we will treat it thoroughly biblically, uh, as always. Yep, tongues. Yep. Okay, so we're going to talk about speaking in tongues. Oh, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Um, uh, just so you know, it will be broadcast in English. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, just wanted to clear that up right off, off the top. Uh, be sure and tune in with us this Saturday morning at uh, 9 a.m. Central Time. 10 a.m. Central Time. 10 a.m. Yeah. yeah. I hate daylight savings time. Yeah. Um, we're going to get rid of that too, aren't we? Yeah. I hope. Yeah. Uh, so listen, thank you again for being with us. JB, thank you. And uh, until we see you again next Tuesday, may God bless and keep you. And to all our listeners out there, may God bless and keep you safe. And we will see you again uh, Saturday morning. And we'll see you then soon. God bless and keep you. Bye-bye.